This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. And now, from beyond our dimension, this is the Jeff Mara Podcast. Here's Jeff. My guest is Kim Lincoln, who, after being robbed and left for dead, had a near-death experience. Kim, thank you for joining us, and welcome. Thank you, Jeff. Really, um, a student turned me on to your channel, and it's nice to hear other people. (laughs) Well, please tell your student thank you, because your student helped get you here today. Yeah. Well, if you don't mind, let's just start on the day it happened and go from there. So I was 18 at the time. And honestly, I haven't spoken out loud about this much. But I did write a page in a book I wrote um, a while ago and mentioned it, but it was a little sparse. (laughs) But I was 18. I had just moved out of the suburb, moved to the big city, San Francisco, and got my own flat, a little apartment in a security building. And um, I'd only been in the apartment a little over a month, living on my own. And I'm getting ready for work, and I hear a knock at the door, and I'm like, wow. Look at that. I don't know anybody in this building. And it's a security building. So clearly it's from the inside. And I had this gut feeling of don't open the door. I just felt that. And I overrode that. I began mentalizing, saying, hey, we're in a security building. What's the big deal? Why should I scare myself? And I overrode that feeling and I opened the door. And at the door um, were two people, very, very tall people, about six feet, the man, and probably 5'10", the woman, 5'11". But they towered over me. And um, they asked if I could give them a ride to the library. And I'm like, the library's only two blocks away. You can walk. And, um, well, anyways, the conversation escalated. And the next thing I knew, I was being shoved, pushed in between the two. And um, after some terrifying experiences, too much to say, I ended up on the floor and they had, um, and all the while they're casing my place. And I had a boyfriend at the time who played electric violin. So, you know, there was expensive equipment at my apartment. So um, anyways, the next thing I knew I was, uh, they had, run me to the floor after strangling me with hands and other 
stuff and they threw me on my stomach and pulled my ankles up and bound them and then pulled my hands behind me and tied my ankles to my hands like in an arch behind and then pulled it around my neck and cinched everything tight while they continued robbing robbing me and I was gagged and I couldn't breathe. And so uh, they left me on my side and it just felt like this tanker. I, I felt like a beached tanker. The weight was unbearable. Um, the pressure in my head was unbearable. And the next thing I knew I was uh, through this excruciating pain slipping out of consciousness and um oh, i have to pause because it's always really intense to share that because sure. body does remember sure, we can edit this um so through that strangulation i began just seeing my whole life passing before my eyes and just rapid fire fast from infancy through the present time. And they it was just like flashes of life experiences. And then there were just throngs of people like ancestors from the other side. And I could feel the love that my family had for me. And I often doubted that. And through feeling their love, I could feel my love for them. And just throngs, it was just like wave after wave of beings, humans that were crossed over, were gathering around me. And, and then everything just fades into this fuzzy kind of, I'm hearing... <laughs> just the sound and I'm hearing my organs shutting down and I'm just hearing uh, the pressure of life going out of me. And I was just weeping internally. I felt like I was drowning in my own tears, like I couldn't, I didn't wanna die, right? And so I'm struggling with the fact that I'm dying and the pain intense. So the more I resisted the experience, the more painful it was. So that was really a huge lesson. And the moment I recognized that I was intensifying my pain, I had to accept I'm dying and the grief of that. And so I surrendered to the death process and the next thing I knew, I'm speeding at sonic speed through this long, narrow tunnel that we all hear about, this long, long, narrow black tunnel with a tiny speck of light at the end. And I'm just zooming rapid fire fast through this tunnel. And I come out the other end. And I come out the other end, and it's absolute blackness. And I'm all alone. And I'm suspended in this infinite realm 
of nothingness, nothingness at all. And so I'm there and I begin to feel my perception opening like multidimensionally. And the next thing I know, I'm coming through a realm which is, we hear about the bardo, you know, this just a horrible hell realm of being stuck, you know, as a zombie. And I'm beginning to pass through this bardo. And I begin to see all this, just this foolish existence of people caught in their suffering. And the more I focus on that, the more I'm pulled like a magnetism into that. And then I recognize my mind. And the moment I recognize that, I just come into the center place. And I begin to allow that be, to be the peripheral experience rather than being in that experience, like rather than merging with that state. And the next thing I know, it just, again, rapid fire speeding fast elevates me through. I, I'm just like pushed out of that, right? Like this pressure just pops me into another dimension and I'm speeding again. It's just like the sonic speed of a jet, faster light speed. I'm just going through this darkness. And then on either side of me, I see two dark beings and I, I begin feeling really afraid. And then they come up beside me and flank my sides and it's like these giant angelic beings turn into the most beautiful radiant light and they're lifting me and I realize we are all light that me and them were not separate we were just this trinity of oneness lifting And here I begin to see anything is possible, right? And so now my body <laughs> is having a fit. So I need to slow down again. Um, no problem. So in this place, I can hear the sound of the speed, it's almost like wind, you know, passing by my ears. And then we enter a place where they peel away. And again, I'm in another domain or another dimension. And this one is absolute, weightless, timeless, infinite silence. And I'm just buoyed here. And so it's as though I went through the dark night of the soul experience into this place of infinite peace and calm. And then there is this experience of all of me disappearing, like there is no self, there's no identity. 
It's like I am erased and all that's here is consciousness. And my consciousness is going fast and far. It felt like going to the end of our galaxy into other galaxies and beyond. So there was just this infinite ability to see and perceive everywhere, like a totality. And then I feel this intelligent presence just like begin roiling around me. And it's like, it's gathering me in. And it's bringing the energy of this beingness of whatever I am. And again, gathering me and propelling me again to this ascension. And I remember looking up and all I can see are these neon archways, like domes of light and in it a center place. And it was like, I'm in this immense mandala, like I'm just a speck in this. And it, what appears in the center is almost like an opening to a Godhead. And I'm just propelled up through all these prismatic arches and up through this opening. And again, I'm thrust out. And at this place, it is the most unbelievable, um, unconditional love. And there is this benevolence, this loving space. There is a love that was that profound, doesn't even describe it. It was through every cell of being, every particle of light. And I was just in this golden field of like an oceanic roiling, golden light. And then I don't know how long I was there, but it was, I was just being infused with this love. And I came from a very traumatic life. Um, a mother that was very bipolar, schizophrenic. It was just like I came from a difficult and violent childhood, right? And, and I just got to feel this love is possible, that we are this love. And I begin to, in this conscious field I'm in, realize all that separates us is our defensiveness and our resistance that everything is love, right? And so this roiling, I begin, this inner scene opens more, and I begin to see that it's almost like a crest, and there's this movement to this edge, and I'm slowly being drawn, again, this magnetic force to this edge. And it's, it would be like 
if we're this tall and how the ocean waves roll. I'm just this little presence in this huge rolling of this wave. And it's like, I'm just treading here, right? And on the other side, I get this hint of this amazing blue. Um, and how would I describe it? Like arc welder white light in there. And I see just this little bit and I'm at this edge and I feel this presence and I'm asking, please let me come in. Because it was like so much work at this edge, right? And I want to cross over to that place. And then this booming voice. At first I'm imagining that it's stern, but it's actually this huge compassion and this booming voice says, not now, not yet. It's not your time. And I'm just filled with this grief. I want to stay here forever. And he said, please let me cross over. I want to stay. And the voice commanded, You've got to return. You have work to be done. And then it was just like boom, a severing. And this, all I remember is plummeting at this amazing speed back to earth and into the earth of my body. And the weight was absolutely unbearable. And the grief was unbearable. And there are two police officers. They're like, patting me and one is one is patting my face the other has smelling salts they had cut everything off of me all the all the cording and um they say come back come back come back and my boyfriend is there trying to leave us and I don't want to come back and I have to come back because I'm in my body now. And um, that was the hardest part was the returning back to here. And so from that time onward, I began being involved in all kinds of consciousness work. And I did massive trainings in energy work body work, um, consciousness work, uh, trauma work, somatic work. And this has been like a 50-year period of intensive trainings. And eventually my work became this trusting, uh, teaching people to trust their perception and their gut instinct and to live in the truth. Yeah, so it's much easier writing about it because I, in my book, I could write a sentence and then close it down for a week. But this is the first time I told the story beginning to end. Who do you think the voice was that spoke to you? I perceived it as God. 
as creator. I felt like I was in this primordial suit and that God is not. It, it was just this creator consciousness, all powerful. When you kind of merged with the other two beings into light and were traveling, do you think those beings were angels or guides? Both angelic guides. Did you happen to see what they looked like? Oh, at first they appeared black, almost invisible in the blackness. And then they became radiance particles of light. And it was like the wings were folded into the body. It wasn't like something fluffy. It was, they were stealth. And it was almost as though they merged in and out of me. It was, it was not, I've seen angelic beings in other ways, but this was very different. In the beginning of your experience, it seemed like you were in an unpleasant realm. Do you think that was a creation of your consciousness due to leaving or having such a traumatic event that put you there in the first place? Um, I do. I do. I feel part of that was a manifest state of that. Um, you know, the people that assault and rob me, they were caught. They had a list. Uh, 28 cases, they've gone in and out of prison. Mm. I, I feel that there was that kind of consciousness that I was still in the room with them. Yeah, I do. And I also needed to see that realm. We can all be in that realm. When you first entered a realm that was completely dark, and then you saw a tiny speck of light, like far away, and then you were traveling to it, I thought you were going to all of a sudden go into a room of light once you reached that light, but it seems like you went somewhere else. Yeah, I went into the darkness. What do you think happened to that light since you didn't travel there? I think the light was the darkness. Hmm. that it was so brilliant it could only be seen as darkness and I've spent my lifetime now discerning those edges like this was the greatest teaching I ever received right I've done tons of trainings and with lots of teachers and this was really a discerning or discriminating edge. It, it brought me to the black spots on the sun. Those sunspots, like those are the hottest, most brilliant spots, but they appear black. And that's what I forgot to share in the story. After going through the black and the next between those realms of that, the archways, we went, the angels and I went first 
into a darkness, but into the sun. And that sun came black again and then became brilliant in the striations of color. It's interesting that you explain it that way. I've talked to so many people who've been to the black void. Yeah. Do you think that's the same place? The black yes. void is someplace that's too brilliant. Like you're yes, describing. I do. That's what I came to realize. And that's, I work with people in the dark night of the soul. And over and over, it's shown, it's never not been true. And they did, can be with that and come into their light. Did that black space have a texture to it? Or a warmth feeling or a comforting feeling? Yes. That, so there were two black spaces. The first one was rocky and rough. And uh, it was almost like a machine had gone through it. There were ridges to it. Like it was like going through a lava tube, right? The second black experience was like buoyant, so liquid, but like, um, silky soft. It was almost like touching um, satin, silk satin, not not the fake stuff they have in fabric stores now, but the real silk satin. You mentioned that the voice or God told you you need to go back because you have work to do. What is the work that you need to be doing? What I'm doing now. That it took a lifetime to develop. And it's, it's not easy work. It's hard work. I work with some pretty intense stuff. Um, but it's necessary work. Because people get caught in the limitation, and we're not the limitation. Only the mentalizing can limit us or the pain in our body if we identify with it. Learning to feel the pain and have that vast awareness at the same time, that's the skill. And when we learn that, we learn that power is not at all what we were taught that power is. It's very gentle. It's very vast. But it's in the truth. And out of that truth, it's love. When you came back and you were grieving, were you grieving over the trauma that you just had? Or were you grieving because you left this amazing place? Yeah. The latter. It, it's, you know, it left me speechless for years, literally speechless. I couldn't speak of it. And for two years, I think I was totally dissociated from my body, which is why I got into the body work and all that, the trauma work. But did you fall into depression? Uh, no, trauma, like touch trauma. Um, 
working with the nervous system, helping the person to calm cranial work, helping the person to come into a safe space within their body. But there's a lot of titration, a lot of very gentle guidance of just enough, not too much um, in all of that. How did the experience initially affect your relationship with other people, like your boyfriend at the time? Um, that was the learning. A lot of learning. I began to see the choices I made um, from not trusting myself. I knew better. Like I I had a lot of experiences that I had chosen that were not in alignment um, with what I really felt. I tried to convince myself. Yeah, a lot of learning. We tried to stay together for 13 years, but uh, a lot of learning. And he lost his life to drugs. If you compare those realms to our realm right now, mm -hmm. would you say that those are more real than here? Or Yes. They are here. They're never not here. All that separates us is the box we put ourselves in. It is... You know, the rational mind has its place where linear is, has its place, but it's not everything. And we're in a culture that we're taught that's everything. And um, in any given moment in time, we can meet the grace of what I experienced. We all can. We all have that capacity. We're all mystics. We're all seers. We just have to learn what we forgot. After your experience, did you get any new abilities that you didn't have prior? I, after my experience, actually, a lot of my abilities shut down. I had abilities before that I didn't cherish. And so I had to go through the unlearning what I did to limit myself so that I wasn't looked at as a weirdo because nobody understood me. I couldn't talk about it. And I was just all too sensitive. In what ways were you limiting yourself? By not getting too close to people. Uh, by not sharing what I was really seeing or the reality of the world I live in. I came into life wide open. So my early life, I'm shown a lot, but I couldn't really talk about it. Do you feel that you are supposed to learn lessons from your NDE? And if so, what were they? Yeah, the lessons to trust my instinct, 
to trust my perception and to stay aligned in truth. And it doesn't have to be an argument. I don't need to persuade anyone else to my reality, but not to abandon myself. So my whole early life was abandoning myself. I was abandoned and I learned to abandon. And so, yeah, coming home. Has the memory of this experience faded over time? No. <laughs> if anything, it's ripened and, and become richer. And if I didn't have to work, I probably wouldn't work. <laughs> and would just hang out in this bliss. Do you feel like at any point in time, if you wish, you could meditate or do something that brings you back into that bliss? Nanoseconds. What is it that you do to get there? Just be present. But it's too much for a lot of people. A lot of people then feel that energy of love and then think I'm personally loving them as wanting them for a partner or men or women, right? And no, it's what we are. Our essence is love. But our society teaches us to sexualize energy. It's such a, (laughs) so much misinformation, misdirection. What is our natural state of being? So it's a learning. I just want to share um, what did develop is my appreciation of synchronicity. In what way? Well, you just shared that. We're talking about loving light and, and then there's this mechanical sound in the background, right? Um, I had a client on my table once when she was doing some trauma work and some deep psycho-spiritual work. And she finally reached this place of anger and a fire started outside. Hmm. I mean, there are things like that that happen or... Somebody has a realization and then a bird chimes. I mean, you know, this is an intelligent universe in some ways. And it's, this is the joy that I've learned to appreciate. What Kim just mentioned is I had paused it earlier because there was some strange noise outside of my apartment. So it's kind of how we got here. And I'm glad you brought that up because I'm trying to pay attention to that more. I've had a couple podcasts lately about coincidences and basically to me, those are kind of like synchronicities and it seems like, yeah, we're in a living universe that's communicating with us if we just pay attention. Oh my gosh. I have an amazing story. Like how I got to Washington was just that, you know, when we learn to be aligned, um, we're guided in ways, at, and I was guided here to Tucson. It's 
It's unbelievable. But but it's believable. It makes me want to ask, do you think your NDE was pre-planned? But then you had that feeling of don't open the door. So maybe it wasn't. Well, maybe that was the lesson. Because I had been overriding, trusting myself. I was living in self-doubt. I would have to have something so marked that there was no other choice but to look at it. That was a hard lesson, a lesson that nearly cost my life, not trusting my instinct. Do you fear death at all? No. I, I feel like we are having little deaths all the time in our growth process, letting go of old ways we were. And it's just another phase of that. Um, I think one thing I've noticed, Jeffrey, is is the more resistance there is, the more of a how the experience is. And the more acceptance, the softer the experience is. So when what I found in myself and with others, when there is so much resistance or so much blockage and so much denial or disbelief or whatever it is, um, then it's going to take a big bang to get our attention. And when we live more from alignment, It's much softer and gentler and easier. And then in our world, we begin to recognize others that are living that way more. um, You know, like yourself. (laughs) Well, it seems that a common theme that some of my guests have had is surrendering to death. Oh, just that surrender, then you cross over. Because there's no death. It's simply a growth process. It's just shedding one way of being, but we are still being. Our soul is still intact. We're not separate. So do you think of this realm here as some kind of manifestation of consciousness that we live in or a simulation or or what? I've come to believe, come to realize it's a manifestation of consciousness. And so fear is a great way to control others. You know, whether it's parents with their children, society, you name it whatever it is. And so keeping people afraid keeps people off balance. And then it's in balance that we experience our wholeness. So there's a lot here. Um, This is a huge learning ground. So why do we keep coming here over and over again, especially since there's so much suffering here. Well, because 
in addition to suffering, there's also the love. There's also the beauty. It's almost as though uh, two different people from two different ways of perceiving here. One may just see the ugly and the other is going to see the beauty. So it's really through the eyes of the perceiver what we experience and this is an amazing place. We really do have paradise here. Living on earth. What inspires you about your NDE? The unconditional love. No matter what, within every soul, within every light, there is goodness. If we can allow ourselves to see through the harshness or the whatever the person has given their life to and see into that light of their being to help them remember who they truly are. And not everybody wants that. That's, that's the choice we have to create our reality. But it means having to see the truth that we don't want to see. So it's a courageous journey to be spirit in this human form. You mentioned your book earlier. What's the title of it and what's it about? That book, I'm on, working on my third book now, but that was my first book called Holy Here, Holy You, Discovering Your Authentic Self. And the holy is spelled with one L, meaning that our holiness is within our wholeness. I did a lot of research, and in the 1500s, that was the original meaning. And then as history progressed, the L, second L was added to holy that completely changes the meaning. Interesting. I didn't know that. Mm -hmm. Which is like a whole, <laughs> H-O-L-E. And then when you add L-Y, it means we're just this vacancy. A lot of things have happened in our language. There are a lot of missing words in our vocabulary now. Like what? Oh, my gosh. Well, like that. Like holiness. holiness. And then words that I can't even pronounce anymore that were commonplace before, like we have been so uh, digitalized and simplified and our minds are just in this narrow strata. So I ask that people look at old literature and um, look up the words that they can't pronounce or spell. <laughs> the etymology of those meanings the root meanings. 
what my experience caused me to do is I've always been fascinated by essence. Even as a little child, essence, it was a word that my mother had used, and she was a real um, academic, right? And she used the word essence, and when she spoke it, I understood what it meant. And I was always looking for the subtler meaning or the subtler feeling. That fascinated me. Well, after the experience, I looked up what does essence mean? And the etymology of essence is consciousness is soul equals love. And so our essence is, and then I looked up being. It also went through all of those, is love. And then I looked up consciousness. And so we, in reality, are the essence of the essence of love. Who, man, being. Who means love, God's love for us. Man, and the root meaning of man is consciousness, is essence, is soul, is love, and being. It's the essence is love. So we are the essence of the essence of the essence of love, which speaks to our three centers, our mental, our emotional, and our instinctual. So it, it inspired me to look at life in a whole different way. Otherwise, I couldn't be here. You know, when we think of love, we usually think of it as a feeling. Yeah. You know, and so many people will say that love is everything and we are love, but we usually refer to it as this feeling of maybe joy or bliss. But mm -hmm. I would think it's more than that. Oh, my God. There are infinite kinds of love. I teach a kind of work. I work with nine aspects of love. There's courageous love. There's a love that has boundaries that's, um, you know, an embodied love. There's strong love. There's gentle love, compassionate love. I mean, all kinds of love, blissful love, all kinds of love. But we have one word, and then people attach it to sexuality. <laughs> and, oh, my God, what a bankruptcy. Well, you are still attaching other words, as you were saying, blissful love and different love. So we just take all those adjectives off and just go to love at its simplest form. Would you just say it's energy? Essence. Essence is love. The subtlest, most profound, most permeating love. And when you were on the other side in the light with God, then you experienced the purest form of love, yes? Purest form. There's consciousness, there's energy, there's even nanoparticles, material, and vast space. So it's like, Ah, you know, it's like quantum physics. There's the thing and the no thing, the something and nothing, and it brings us into 
everything. I kind of feel like we need to come up with a new word instead of love, like something else that defines it better. That's why I use the word essence. Essential. Yeah. And so essence, matter can be coarse and rough and pretty and all of that can have momentum, can have all the attributes of nature. And then as we refine our consciousness, it's subtler and subtler and subtler. Yeah. Most people equate emotional love with love. That's love. And so then there's an emotionality and drama and catharsis and attachment <laughs> and all of that. And so that's a more base or basic love, right? But then the more we refine our awareness and our ability, and then we begin to come into uh, subtler realms, um, more profound, permeable, um, blissful aspects of loving essence. But it's unconditional. And I think it really the most profound takeaway was nothing is good or bad. Like, it's what we're identified with. And we can have a more coarse or less refined identity that's more dense. Or, but we have the ability to have a more perceptual, um, realized consciousness. And it's such a different experience. And it's all essence. And if we can meet what's coarse and dense and stay with that and open to the space, we come into a more refined and a new perception, something we hadn't known or something we knew and packed away and then is remembered. I believe that your work involves helping people and counseling people and more. Can you give us any basic tips for us to implement in our lives to help ourselves? Yes. I would say the automatic um, defensive response, don't trust it. That's habit. That's habituated, unconscious, learned habit. Don't trust it. It's split off from the wiser self. So if we catch ourselves activated, pause. <laughs> Space to that. That in itself is a powerful, powerful lesson. And what happens if we go into fear, which defensiveness is, then we get caught in a mo momentum that builds and snowballs on itself and then becomes attacking. So thwart. I guess that that defensiveness is a primal response just to just for survival. Yes, that's the lower brain. 
And that's the first brain at part of our brain that develops. So that's the hardwired part. Then just interrupt it again and again and again. But what happens, people take themselves so seriously and then they feel the false essence of empowerment over bullying or powering over others. That's not power. And my death experience taught me and showed me powers the antithesis of that. That's not power. It's bullying. <laughs> it feels powerful, but you know, it's artificial. Well, after watching this podcast, people may want to reach out to you and ask you questions. Are you open to that? Certainly. I have a website, my name, kimlincoln.com, and they can write in the comment and reach out. Yes. If it's too many, I don't know how many I can respond to. I'm one person. But um, if there is really a burning question in there, it will be sure to be answered at some point. Yeah. And I, if people want to be in touch with me personally, I teach a class the last Friday of each month, hour and a half, and people can drop in for a nominal donation. But um, they have to go through a questionnaire first to come into the class. And then I just send out this monthly news link or Zoom link, and they can join us. And sometimes people volunteer to do personal work, and sometimes they give a teaching or both. Yeah. But at least I get to see people's faces and we can talk. Sometimes it's open conversation. Do you have any other things that you're working on that you want us to know about? Oh, and I was just going to say that class is on my website. It's called Soul Cafe. <laughs> um, anything else I'm working on? I am working on a book. I've gathered some of my students' extraordinary stories, of, um, something they've struggled with, and how using the tools I teach, they have come into a better life implementing the tools and their own learning through their process. I don't want clones. I want people to be empowered in themselves. So I teach people how to access themselves. Well, before we finish up, can you leave us with one last positive message? Um, one more thing is... I have a school, Terrain of Essence, and I've trained other teachers in their teaching courses. So do what you love and it will blossom. Nobody knew me when I lived to Olympia, when I moved to Olympia, and I let go of my practice in the Bay Area. And Within two years, I had a school. People were just asking. And so now these people 
and their practitioners on my website to read of this. So I would say do what you love and your love will touch others and others will touch others and humanity. Kim, thank you for that message. And thank you again for being my guest. Oh, it's my pleasure. And I'm so happy to meet you in person. I love your work. Thank you. And the pleasure was all mine. <laughs> thank you, Jeff. Thanks for watching the Jeff Mara podcast. I really appreciate you. Another way to show support is through YouTube memberships. And if you do, there are loyalty badges and other perks depending on your level of membership. All you need to do is click the join button underneath the video to find out more. Thank you for your support.